The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So I'll tell you a story. And this story happened when I was right around your age, whatever your age happened to be. It was uh, most of you here were not born. It was March 8th. Today's the day, March 8th of 1993. And uh, at that point, I was a sophomore. I was about, I was 20 years old as a sophomore at the University of Michigan in, in Ann Arbor, if any of you have heard of it. Um, we had a very early spring break at the University of Michigan, so we already were back and back in classes. Most colleges, when they have spring break, so they try to do something fun, and uh, we'd actually, we drove down to Florida, came back to, and then we were back. I had a very good friend from high school, and my friend from high school, for his spring break, uh, him and his friends came to, to visit me at my school, right, to me and, and my friends. Uh, I'd never met his friends before, and they came. I, I was not quite religious at that point. They came, I think they arrived like Thursday or Friday. Right away, we started off with Kiddush, and uh, it was Shabbat, something like that. We celebrated some parts of Shabbat, just not all of it. So uh, we, then Sunday, we did some other stuff. Then on Monday, which was Monday, March 8th, much like today, um, we decided, I said, you know what, Let, let's go up to Canada. See, Ann Arbor, Michigan is only an hour away from a city called Windsor, Ontario, Ontario. And we said, you know, let's go up to Canada because I, I don't know exactly what we were going to do there, but we were 20 and America, the drinking age was 21 and Canada, the drinking age was 19. So, okay, at least we could drink legally if we went up there. So now this was a, a long time ago and there was no ways, there was no GPS there was no even, there's, you couldn't even print out maps from your computer, okay? So the only way you could get from one place to the next, if you don't know how to get there, is to follow somebody. So my roommate, my two roommates actually, they were from Michigan, they knew the lay of the land, so they were driving in the first car, and then I went with my friend and his two friends from his college behind them in the second car. And we started driving up a big road called I-94, Interstate 94, and there's like at least four or five lanes going north, and there's another four or five lanes coming south. Between the north lanes and the south lanes is about, I don't know, 12, somewhere around 12, 14, maybe even 20 feet of grass, like that dips and then goes back up, like they have on major parkways. So it wasn't like a physical divider, but it, it, it's very prohibitive to get from one side to the other. So we're going north, and I am uh, sitting in the back seat right behind the driver. Now, I look up. We, we've been driving. For, we're about an hour away. We've been driving for like 50 minutes at that point. And I looked up, and it was almost like very surreal. I saw a pair of headlights coming at us, okay? And then I was like, wow, that is so strange that there's headlights coming at us because we're going like sort of north on a major highway, so what had happened was a drunk driver, this is why your parents tell you do not drink and drive, a drunk driver, and I don't know how drunk you have to be to do this, but pretty drunk, had skipped across the highway, went through that large grassy knoll, and instead of going south, he was, now, he was still going south, but he's going south in the north lanes. As from the time I saw the headlights till the time the, there was an impact was literally a split second. I saw the headlights and boom. 
we were going around 60 miles an hour. We couldn't, I think my friend tried to swerve out of the way. It really wasn't working out. It couldn't work. And he, <clears throat> he just came right at us, also going 60 miles an hour. So we have a total collision at this moment of about 120 miles, out, 20 miles per hour. And uh, I'm sitting in the back seat without a seatbelt. My friend who was sitting in the front seat, luckily at that point, they had a 1990, we, we were in a 1993 Honda Accord. The guy who hit us was in a Ford pickup truck. It was, uh, it, it, we lost, we, the battle was lost from the start. My, luckily, there was, at that point, there was an airbag in the car. So my friend who was driving, he hit, he hit the airbag first. The only part of his body that was not in the airbag was, was his hand. And, uh, you know, some reconstructive surgery later, that was fine. His friend was sitting next to him. He had a seatbelt on, but did not, you know, just there was no airbag. So he sort of flew, you know, he flew into the front windshield. He uh, suffered a stroke on impact. He broke his back on impact. He luckily, after, you know, some months and some years, he recovered. He, he's, a, he's a doctor. He's, he's a family. I think he lives in Baltimore somewhere. Um, someone sitting behind him, uh, another friend of my friend's, he wound up sort of going into the pat- front passenger seat, and he broke his fifth and sixth vertebrae and wound up having a halo for about six months. Now, the way the cars hit each other, most of the damage was done on the driver's side, and I was sitting right behind the driver. So at the point of impact, I flew into the front seat, Okay, my, uh, my, luckily my nose took the brunt of the burden and I wound up at, in about one second breaking my nose, breaking both eye orbits, breaking both cheekbones and breaking my jaw. So I have right now to this day, my nose, they, they try their best to put on straight and at some angles it actually does look straight and I have, uh, I have, titan- <laughs> I have titanium uh, plates under both eye orbits and both cheekbones they wired my jaw shut for a few months and more or less healed. And uh, that, that was my face. Then, since I was flying forward, my, uh, it just to show you the scope of this impact and how, how lucky I feel to be alive, how thankful I am to God. So, you know, between the passenger seat and the driver's seat, there's a console. Okay, so I'm flying forward and my right leg hit the console and shattered my femur bone. Okay, now, so breaking a femur bone is about as easy as breaking a baseball bat. So it's the strongest bone in the entire body, and you, plus you have your, all your, you know, your thigh right before it, and uh, unfortunately, I broke my, my femur bone at that moment. Now, it, that was all obviously terrible and, and uh, worthy possibly of talking about, but I probably would not be doing this um, every year and reminding myself it was if that was all that happened to me. See... The worst thing that happened to me, I didn't even realize at the moment. <clears throat> there are times in high-speed collisions that your internal organs keep moving, but your chest cavity sort of stops. So at that point, your uh, aorta and your heart hit the chest cavity, so there's something called uh, an aortic aneurysm, which means the aorta tears. So aorta is the biggest artery that we got and it's like pumping blood into your body all the time when the aorta tears it it's very bad and actually um, from the studies that i did somewhere between 98 and a half percent of the time to 99 percent of the time the aorta once it tears it tears completely 
one and a half percent of the time, only the first two layers tear. And the third one stays on, but it's not possible for it to, you know, it has a few hours to make it with the blood going through before it also gives in because it's not meant, just that one layer of skin is not meant to able, not meant to be able to handle all the blood. So what, <clears throat> the scene was pretty grave. My two friends stopped their car immediately. Obviously, when they saw the collision, they ran back. They told me that when they were running towards the car, they were sure no one was alive because it basically, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever saw like these mother against drunk driving, like what the car looks like. So that's what the car looked like, a lunchbox. And they were pleasantly surprised to see everybody alive. Someone passed by <clears throat> with, uh, you know, one of those like 1990s cell phones, like, you know, basically the, the size of a small home. And they were able to call. They were able to call for an ambulance. The, in a few minutes, the ambulance came. Uh, the ambulance then t- proceeded to take us to a... Thank you so much. The ambulance proceeded to take us to the nearest hospital. The nearest hospital was a small hospital outside of the Canadian border, still in Michigan, and was not equipped to deal with any of us really, but especially with me. It just so happened to be that one day a month in that hospital, there was a doctor, a lung doctor, a pulmonary doctor, from the University of Michigan Medical Center, top med school, one of the top med schools in the country, that he would come there one day a month just to help, help them and just to make sure they were running properly. And uh, luckily, that was the one day a month that he was there that month, March 8th, 1993. So when he saw my x-ray, he realized that something was off in my, with my aorta because when the aorta tears, first of all, not everyone could see it on the x-ray, and then on top of that, you have to then fix it. So he realized that there was something definitely off. And he said, look, I, the, I remember this conversation very well. I did not pass out. Even though my body was in shock, I was not feeling the pain that, I, you know, that we'd normally be feeling, which is another miracle from Hashem that, that happens to all of us that we create our bodies this way. It's like really mind-boggling. You know, I always tell the story, if you're like a, you know, a kid or like a little brother, little sister, and sometimes they, like, they leave their Legos around, and you step on the Lego, right? Say, like, ah, it hurts so much, you know. And then meanwhile, you could break like basically almost every bone you have and your body goes in shock and you can't even feel it. It's, it's, it's quite astounding. But thank you, Hashem, for these, all these little miracles. So he looks at my x-ray and he looks at me, he goes, something is wrong with a, a, your aorta. He's, he's like, does your chest hurt? And I remember looking up at as a doctor, right now everything hurts. So, so he said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to get you choppered out of here back to the University of Michigan. So uh, this is, I think, the only time I've been on a helicopter. A medical helicopter arrived from the University of Michigan in this little hospital. They put me on the gurney, carried me over there, and then flew me to the University of Michigan Medical Center. There, they did some more tests, and they confirmed that that my aorta actually did tear. And then they proceeded to wake up the, the heart surgeon, the thoracic surgeon, and uh, so now we're already into March 9th, and somewhere in the early morning hours, uh, he performed a, uh, an aor- a surgery, an open heart surgery. They went in through the first and second rib, and they, this was new, very new technology in 1993, 
and they put in uh, like this synthetic graft that like disintegrated after a few months, and thereby uh, saving Baruch Hashem, saving me and uh, and and saving my order and saving everything else. Then the next few days, they uh, fixed my face, and then they also uh, put in a rod and some screws into my leg to stabilize the, my femur bone. And no, I do not go, I do not uh, ring when I cross through the airports for whatever reason. I don't think that they're, uh, it doesn't seem like their detectors are strong enough. But a couple of times when I do go into government buildings, then I am ringing all over the place. So, so, um, so while all this was happening, okay, what, one of my thoughts was, you know, my family's Russian, I'm, I'm the only child, that my parents are going to be so worried. And, uh, and you know, indeed, the, they got the call that, God forbid, God forbid, a million God forbids, you never want to get as a parent. And that, uh, you know, it was in the middle of the night, and they, you know, they told them your, your son's been in a very bad car accident, and that you have to immediately, you know, fly out to University of Michigan. They got there. And uh, on the way over there, see, at that point, I was not yet religious, but my father was sort of going towards that route. And he told me later on, told me many times, that he promised Hashem that if, if Hashem saved me, that he was going to go all the way. He was trying to keep Shabbat. This, uh, he's trying. But he said, Hashem, if you save my son, I'm going to do everything. And, uh, and Baruch Hashem, he, he stuck to his word all, uh, from that moment on. And basically, March 8th, I crashed. March 9th, they mended me up. And March 10th, they told my parents that I was going to live. And my father, because I'm the only child, you know, my parents told me that uh, that was like the favorite day of their that That was their favorite day. Because even when you're born, it's like one thing. But when you have a chance, when you feel like someone could be lost from you and they're given back, it's like even that much more emotional. So... There's a lot of side parts to the story and a lot of good things that came out of it. But this really, even though it did not at that moment bring me to religion, I remember the next couple of days later, the Chabad rabbi came to my, to my hospital room. I was recovering and he looked at me. Now this is, this is where you can tell I'm, I'm not Bukharian yet. So he, he looked at me and he said, you know, Hashem saved you. Maybe you could put on tefillin. Right? Seems like a logical thing. So... I bet every Bukhari guy would say, of course. You know? So I said, why would I do that? Right? He said, what do you mean, why would you do that? Hashem saves you. I said, so I looked at it, I said, you know, if I, it's like, I, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm alive. But I said, at the same time, if I thought putting out to film was the right thing to do, I'd already be doing it. Right? I just didn't know. And so it was several years later that I started to learn about things Hashem and looked into the Torah and realized that Hashem actually wrote it, that's when I started to make the changes. Because miracles, as great as they are, and I, I was so cognizant this was a miracle. I remember like talking to a doctor about it back in New Jersey, and I was trying to explain to him like why I lived. He looked at me, he goes, he's an army doctor. He goes, son, it was divine intervention. And that was it. Like everyone knew Hashem stepped in. And, but it's not the miracles that really make us change. It's knowing what we need to do and really being sure that Hashem wants us to do what, what we're supposed to be doing. That's really where the change comes. That being said, at the moment of my accident, I made one very serious decision. 
and I, I hopefully I've uh, more or less stuck to it. I realized that most of the things that were upsetting me and annoying me that I would like, you know, get agitated about just like, you know, it's called the human existence, it's called life. Most of those things were really not that important in the overall scheme of things. You know, when you're like strolling out on the highway somewhere, you know, that because your friend was mean to you, it's just not so important. And I, I made a decision that, you know, I considered that day, March 8th, 1993, I said, this is a bad day, okay? When you break every bone in your body, when you're out in the middle of the highway somewhere hoping for the ambulance to come and miracles to happen to you, that's a bad day. Anything else is really not, really not such a bad day. And so I do not, I really try my best to not take things too personally, to not get overly upset and to generally keep a positive attitude. Because in the overall scheme of things, most of the things that we're upset about just are not really that big of a deal. Another thing that occurred to me at that moment was, you know, the people in your life, your parents, when you get married, your spouses, and when you have kids, certainly your kids, those are the most important, you know, and you have to, even though we tend to get annoyed at them, you have to let them know how much you love them and how much you care about them. And the third thing I learned is, this is much later on that I learned it, is that Hashem always believes in us and always wants to give us a chance. At that moment, you know, I, I can't say I was really doing so many mitzvahs. You know, as pro- could be I was even doing more bad things than good things. <clears throat> However, there was hope. And Hashem totally, we say every morning that Hashem, thank you for giving me my soul back and thank you for believing in me. And I feel like I felt very privileged because Hashem really believed in me that I was eventually going to change and and uh, and you know live a life that I was you know that that I you know that Bezrat Hashem my parents and my wife and my kids are going to be proud of and I'm still working on it and uh, as time went on I became closer to Hashem and I was more cognizant of like you know this amazing miracle this amazing favor that Hashem did for me I also made another decision I said you know Hashem you you helped me like so much more than the average person by by saving me here that anything I could do if I have a chance to like really give back and work with the Jewish people I didn't even know about the Bukharian people then but of course especially with the Bukharian people so I was like I'm going to do it and Hashem made even more miracles for me Hashem made so that I got a chance to go to Kolo and, uh, and, really, and become a rabbi at Emmet like 13 years ago. It's really been life-changing. And having you guys as students is really amazing. And I, you know, my parents, when they tell their side of the story, so one thing that always sticks out at me, my mom always says that this was more painful for my mom, if any uh, mothers are out here or listening on tour anytime, no one feels the pain as much as the, as the mother. The son, uh, the, the, the kid, you're 20 years old, you barely know what's going on, basically. You think, uh, you know, life is short. So the father, not the same as the mom. No one was in more pain than my mom. And she always stands up and says, even though this was such a horrible day, because it got us all so much closer to Hashem, she would go through it all over again. And so when she says that, I have no choice but to say, okay, I, I'll do it too. <laughs> you know? Luckily, we're not looking to get tested like that again. But the, 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 point, is, the point is made. Even You have to see, as life goes on, you notice that your worst days eventually become your best days. I would like to encourage once again all of you 
to go onto that website, storiestoinspire.org. You will be inspired by the great stories that are right there for all of us.